Hello, and you're listening to Scar Joe A Gogo, the podcast right chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke, and this week I'm talking about Lucy. We're here to learn, not just to yawn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her. Miss Johansson, don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe go. Evolution. Charles Darwin had a theory about it. Half of America is terrified and confused by it. And over the last 37 episodes of this podcast, we have diligently watched as our own Scarlett Johansson has evolved from a tiny little Pokemon to a a misfit outsider, a femme fatale, a superstar action hero, and she continues to evolve. I feel like right now, at the time of recording, her career is at an all-time peak, and there are plenty of more films ranging from massive blockbusters to art house films slated for the upcoming years. She's going to be Black Widow again. She's going to be the voice of a snake in the Jungle Book. She's going to be in the next Coen Brothers movie. She's going to be the star of Ghost in the Shell. So many exciting things in the future. And the only catch being that now comes a time where we stop being a weekly show and we're going to have to wait for her to make more films. Because apart from Age of Ultron, We have officially caught up with this episode. But uh, what better way to end our weekly lineup than look at a film in which Scarlett's character quite literally evolves before our incredulous eyes. How fitting that she should start a film at about 10% brain capacity, much like her debut as a child in the film North, where she recklessly squeezed a mustard bottle, giggled like a drunk, stuffed her face with uh, cotton candy, and then she jets forward, gaining momentum until she reaches a crazy, crackling, energy-spewing 100%. So, let's you and I be like the fine example set by Scarlet. Let's give this thing 100% right now. I'll give 100% to my talking. You give 100% to your listening. Let's take this thing out of here in style. But first, when we last left Scarlett Johansson, she was being super BFFs with Captain America in the film The Winter Soldier, a a a movie which really injected Black Widow with a ton of personality camaraderie, had funny dialogue. It really further secured her spot as a valued equal member of the team. And that leads us to Lucy, which is also from 2014, uh, directed by, written and directed by Luc Besson, crazy Frenchman. And uh, I gotta say, right off the bat, I really do like Lucy as a film. I am a fan of it. I had a lot of fun with it. And I know not everybody feels that way. I know there were people that found it too silly and too problematic. And that's actually the thing that I like about it. Um, People don't like it often because of the science. Lucy exists on the premise that we 
only use 10% of our brains and what would happen if we began to use more. Now, of course, scientifically, that is incorrect. That's not true. We don't just use 10% of our brains, but you know that. I know that. We've all been using the internet since the 90s. We've all been to Snopes.com, the mythbuster of the internet. We know that's all a lot of shit. And you know who else knows that it's a lot of shit? Director Luke Besson. You know, like, you can act all elitist and smart, like, I know about our brains, he doesn't. He does, he knows it's bullshit, but he also knows that it's a fun premise for a science fiction film. So not real science, but science fiction, pretend science. I know, like, you go, yeah, but the best science fiction predicts that. Yeah, okay, look, it's a kind of a silly concept, but the thing is, when you're bitten by a spider, you don't get the powers of a spider. If you get exposed to radiation, you don't turn into a big green rage monster when you feel like it. You, you just kind of, or your hair and teeth falls out and you die. There are a billion movies that we love which have crazy premises that would not happen in real life. Doesn't mean we like the movies any less. I mean, just a guy, a, a millionaire dressing up as a bat, that's pretty dumb, right? And don't get me started on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. How did those four things ever end up together? So if we can accept all that bullshit, we can accept Lucy. It's a story. Uh, Luke Besson knows that. And let's give him some credit. He is a marvelous, insane, inventive Frenchman who gives us crazy, memorable movies. I mean, this is the guy that gave us The Professional, The Fifth Element. Not films that always are incredibly successful, but they are memorable. I mean, I don't love The Fifth Element, but it's a memorable film, and the the visuals and uh, all the iconic stuff that came out of that, it has remained in our culture. You've got to give him credit for that. And then there's other great films he's done, like um, The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Blank Sec, uh, a adaptation of a European comic book series, which are just absolutely weird, wonderful, beautiful, over-the-top. And I'm going to say that word, those three words with hyphens in between them, over the top, quite a bit. Because I think some of the stuff that you think is silly and you might feel like a bit elitist about it, oh, well, I think it's silly. I think he thinks it's silly too. He knows it's silly. But the difference is he's willing to have a lot of fun with it. And this is a director that I know just from watching this film, just from everything he packs into each frame, all the information... And the way that this film rapidly moves along, I know that he is having a wonderful time, whether you like it or not. So we can fold our arms and tut-tut and shake our heads, purse our lips, and be like, well, we're not going to have fun with you. Or we can just relax, get on the ride, and have some fun. I choose to get on the ride because I am pro-fun. I'm a big fan of fun. Fun has treated me very well in the past. And this is a really cool film. You know, and my biggest surprise, this was only the second time I watched it, coming back to it, uh, having seen it in the cinema the first time, of course, is this film is only 85 minutes long. Can you believe that? Not even 90 minutes. And most blockbusters, action blockbusters, genre films these days are really two hours plus. In fact, when a film does not even make the 90 minute mark, it's usually a pretty bad sign thinking of crappy comedies, or 
it's okay when it's like uh, an animated film. Often animated films are quite short. But uh, this is an odd duck in that sense. And at first I was like, oh, that's weird. But then it's kind of good because I don't feel that anything is really wasted in Lucy. Lucy is a film about momentum. There's this ticking clock going from 10% towards 100%, and it has to keep moving. And it's packed with information, and it has to continually evolve. And I think we really should be thankful that it's not two hours, because if it was two hours, we'd probably go, you know, Vasan, you could afford to trim 35 minutes off this. So I, I feel like everything is there for a reason. Don't take my word for it. Let's start watching it get into the film, figure out what it's all about. And, of course, she gets top billing. Does not happen often. Wonderful to see it here. And this bizarre imagery starts right from the beginning. You can tell that this film is a comic booky kind of adventure. It's about ideas. It's not meant to be taken literally. It's not a realistic film. Uh, we're seeing what I assume are cells, you know, squishy blue, round things with little nucleuses. I'm not a scienceman. You're going to pick that up very quickly as we continue to talk. And there are a lot of uh, kind of pseudoscience-y, crazy ideas in this thing. But we're seeing cells split and multiply. And we see Lucy, but not Scarlett Johansson Lucy. I'm talking about the first human Lucy, the, 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 the man-ape or woman-ape Lucy, the, the ape-like humanoid who exists in the past, in this crazy wilderness, drinking from water. Drinking from water? Water's a great thing to drink. Especially if we're assuming that BC stands for before Coke. And we get a Scarlet voiceover. So nice that we're getting a little bit of narration here. So her first line, we always mention her first line, all in voiceover while we see this ape creature is... Life was given to us a billion years ago. What have we done with it? And that's it. That's all her narration is. Little thesis statement. And we cut to a bustling city. Speed it up motion. It's, it's Taiwan. There's lots of stuff, stuff happening here. People rushing around the streets. Lots of lights, signs. It's rapid speed civilization happening. And then as an unseen man tries to get our attention... We see a close-up of a delightfully spaced-out Scarlett Johansson. Now, I really love the character that she's created here. We've got... She's bleach-blonde, tussled hair, heavy eye makeup. She's wearing a leopard print jacket. It's very trashy. She's sipping very vacantly on what, what looks to me like a takeaway coffee, although she does have a straw... So immediate sense of her character here. Like, this is a different her. You can really see in her eyes. And I, I think that um, Scarlet usually comes across, in my mind, as quite intelligent. Here she kind of looks a bit spaced out and ditzy. And I, I really feel that she is inhabiting this trashy persona far more effectively than, for example, uh, the character she played in Don John, which for me seemed a little bit more false, more like she was kind of playing. Whereas here, she inhabits it. And I think that's partly like the, the great over-the-top comic booky kind of design of the costume and the way that Basson shoots all of this, but I'm buying it immediately. It's a great costume, and that's a really economic way to tell us about this person. 
And uh, her partner, Richard, is just as flamboyantly dressed. He's got red sunglasses. He's wearing a cowboy hat. And uh, we see a short flashback which shows that basically this is someone she's just met. She met him at a club. They drank a lot. And now in the daylight, he wants her to take a suitcase into a building for him. They're in the outside the foyer of this really big skyscraper. He wants her to do this favor. And she doesn't really want to do it. She wants to go. She has to study. So we get more clues as to who she is. And um, again, crazy direction throughout. For example, as he's trying to convince her to go, there's an insert shot of like this black space with a mouse kind of sniffing around a piece of cheese in a mouse trap. So there's no question as to what the relationship is here and what this choice is going to do to her. She wants to know what's in the suitcase. He refuses to tell her. She tries to leave again. But she's playful, though. Like, I like how she puts on the cowboy hat and speaks in a mock cowboy voice before he takes it off her again and tries to keep it on task. She's definitely a kind of party girl, quite a vivacious character. Uh, but then there is suddenly, as I said, this film doesn't waste any time, this quick change of tone because Richard handcuffs the suitcase to her and she freaks out and total commitment here she really sells this and suddenly we have instant stakes Scarlet goes from endearing to angry more crazy juxtapositions from Basson as well because now we see shots of a cheetah watching a gazelle in the savannah and we're going to keep cutting back to this and uh, Scarlet is the gazelle so great shot of her entering the building where we see her full outfit for the first time. She's wearing a tight red mini skirt. We can't see her feet, but we know she's wearing high heels, probably too high, just because of the way that she's tottering around awkwardly. She's so out of place in this very expensive gold-plated lobby and doing her best to look respectable, like she tugs her uh, skirt down slightly. And I've always liked this about her. Like, I do feel that she can be awkward in sexy clothes, and that's something that makes her more interesting to me. Like, um, remember in Iron Man 2, when we see the full-body shot of her walking in the Black Widow outfit for the first time, it's not this sexy, slinky Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman thing. It's awkward. She can barely walk in that thing. It looks uncomfortable. She does not naturally slink. And I feel her awkwardness is really emphasized here to show how completely out of place and inappropriate she is in this setting and how she really is becoming the prey. She's not going to be able to escape these cheaters. And sure enough, as she asks uh, for Mr. Jang, she needs to take the suitcase to Mr. Jang, we see a shot of the cheater juxtaposed with one of the security guards who are starting to take an interest in her. She is a lone gazelle walking into a whole room of predators and she's getting panicky. And, and it's interesting because she's the gazelle now. At this very early point in the film, she is the gazelle, but she's not going to be for long. But for now, she's getting flustered and she's such a, a, a tussled mess of a character. Like, I really love this person. I haven't seen her transform so much and sort of have fun with inhabiting this different persona, but at the same time, really keeping it quite real. 
The cheaters, the security, they advance on her. Richard gives the thumbs up to her through the window. He's got a big grin. And then suddenly he is shot from behind. Blood splatters all over the glass. And we get genuine terror from Scarlet as she is grabbed by security, dragged into an elevator. She's got this great tortured expression as the doors close, taking her away from us. And the cheater has the gazelle in its mouth. And then we see her begging as she's dragged down the corridor. And I love this transition from this comedic ditzy character to someone who is in a very scary real situation. She sees a bloodied body through an open door as they enter an upstairs room and uh, begins to vomit. She has a, a really real reaction. And then when Jang, Mr. Jang, enters... He's wearing safety glasses and is splattered with blood and his hands are drenched with blood. So Scarlet, of course, is just catatonic, tears in her eyes, really committing, but still there's this sort of wonderful, weird, dry sense of humour in here. Like, she splutters to Mr. Jang. Like, seeing this guy covered in blood, she's crying and she says, do you speak English? There's really something about these scenes that remind me of those 90 films like um, Besson's own uh, The Professional or films like True Romance or um, even all those sort of indie crime films that happen post-pulp fiction, like really heightened, iconic, larger-than-life characters, um, themes like underworld figures versus regular people, who suddenly find themselves in situations that spiral violently out of control, continue continual raising of stakes. And I definitely grew up in an era where I really loved those films and, and watched a lot of those films. So there's something very relatable to me about this setup. And then with the help of an interpreter over the phone, she's given the code to the suitcase and the others back into a room and hold up riot shields just in case. She continues to cry and panic. They train guns on her. So she's so wonderfully out of her depth. And I do love this character. She's got tear-stained cheeks now, heavy breathing. It just continues to escalate and escalate from this point onwards. And inside the suitcase is not a bomb, but four pouches filled with blue powder or crystals, some sort of drug. And they bring in this cracked-out junkie to test it. And he's equally over the top in terms of his costuming. Like, everybody is just the definitive version of that type of character. Like, this guy's wearing a grubby Youth in Revolt tank top. He's got ringed eyes, rotten teeth. He's absolutely drenched in sweat. They're like comic book characters. You know everything you need to know about them uh, straight away. And I like that. I like that. Um, I like when directors like Wes Anderson, for example, do that. Something I liked about um, the Hotel Budapest was, you know, when you saw Willem Dafoe, just from the way he looked, you knew everything you needed to know about the, the character. And uh, this guy, this junkie, he snorts some of these crystals, begins laughing uncontrollably, and they shoot him in the head. So if Scarlet didn't look in control before, she's now also splattered with blood. Wonderful image. And then Jang offers her a job. She declines. She's upset. She doesn't want to do it. And she is knocked out. We get our first title card, 1%. Then, change of pace, we cut to Morgan Freeman, who is a professor giving a lecture. Now, he's the one providing all the science here. And his words are intercut with images from nature at the beginning. He's talking about how most animals use, I think he said, 3-5% to 5 of their cerebral capacity, whereas humans use 10%. We know that's not true. Just let it go. Just enjoy the film. 
And we get the title card saying 10%. And then we see shots of civilization, things we've accomplished, uh, buildings that people have, have built, art, science, etc. And he says the dolphins are the ones that do the best. They use 20%. And part of this fact that they... I'm saying fact. Science fiction. Though I don't know. I don't know shit about dolphins. Except they look delicious. But in this film, he's saying dolphins, because they use 20%, they have been able to develop this extra ability that they needed, which is sonar. So they're evolving new abilities as their brain capacity increases. Now, Lucy... Scarlet awakes in a hotel room. She's wearing a black bra. She's got a bloodied bandage around her stomach. There are surgical instruments on a tray next to her. The thugs throw a white shirt, which she kind of pulls on, and they drag her into Jang. And we've got this really lovely, refined English gentleman who is the, of course, English speaker and explains what's going on. Basically, a pouch of the drugs have been put in her stomach uh, he mentions that the scar will fade, so she'll still be able to go to the beach, which I think is interesting. That's the same joke we had last week as Winter Soldier when she shows the um, scar on her belly and says, I won't be able to wear bikinis anytime soon. I don't know which film she shot first, but don't you think as the, an actress you would mention that the second time around? Wouldn't you go, oh, yeah, you know, I just shot a film where I've got a scar in my stomach and they make a joke about bikinis. Like, are you sure you want to do this again? find that really weird. And then three men are dragged in. They've got the other three pouches embedded in their stomachs. They're also drug mules. They're all given passports. In 24 hours, they should have the drugs removed, get their freedom, but failure to do it, and their families will die. Lucy takes a drink to steal her nerves and then is covered in a black hood. Um, Morgan Freeman continues his lecture, says our only real purpose is gaining time. Uh, he talks a lot here. I'm going to try and just summarize it the best I can. It basically says, like, we're faced with two solutions, which are be immortal or reproduce. The shots are natural disasters. What he's basically saying, if the environment is not favorable, then the being will choose immortality. So they'll become self-sufficient. They won't settle down. They'll keep moving. They'll just rely on themselves. But if their environment is favorable, they'll settle down. And they'll reproduce, which is a great opportunity for Basson to give us a montage of all types of different animals fucking. And he talks about how knowledge is passed through cells and knowledge and learning are handed down through time. And then we go back to Scarlet. And I really love this shot. It's like the camera is up under the hood with her. So we're really just looking at her eye and lots of colored light from outside flashes on her. We don't know where she is, but she's sort of muttering to herself, trying to, you know, rev herself up. It convinces herself that she's going to get through this. And more escalation. She's now chained in a concrete graffiti room where a group of thugs who don't speak English try to molest her. Meh, it's an overused trope. In this case, it's to trigger, she rebuffs them, and they beat the shit out of her, and her stomach gets kicked. And she really sells the pain here. Uh, it's quite brutal. She spasms. And the whole point of this is that the kick splits the bag that's in her stomach. And the camera dives into the wound, and we see the blue crystals turn into, like, blue comets and fireworks as they rocket around her body and amidst the sweat and the pain all this stuff that she's really selling here her eyes suddenly glow bright blue and 
This is where the film starts to go insane. If you thought this was just going to be a straight action film where somebody suddenly becomes like really good at fighting or whatever, this is where it challenges your perception because she actually slides up the wall, spinning around and slides around on the ceiling. It's a supernatural kind of thing. She's rolling around on the ceiling. She's convulsing next to a sparking neon light. It's really nuts. She uses the chain that leads to the wall to pull herself back down to the ground. She starts running around screaming. Title card, 20%. Which leads us back to Morgan Freeman. He's like, what could we do if we reach 20%? You know, what uh, abilities could we develop? Uh, Evolution to revolution is what he says. And he talks about how um, the next stage would be perhaps the control of other people. Um, he's talking about if we were using 40%, then maybe we could control matter. Um, but he says, you know, that's all the realm of science fiction. And then some bright spark in the, the student who's listening is like, what would happen at 100%? And, and Morgan Freeman's like, I have no idea. And that's our setup. As an audience now, I'm going, well, fuck, 20%? You were dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. I want to know, what are you going to do at 100%? i got to see this. So Lucy Scarlet awakes again, and now far more confident and in control. She's still in this concrete graffiti-covered room, but she's sitting straight-faced and upright. There's something in her eyes here, which is like that glimpse of the sort of action-focused Black Widow. Um, or even under the skin, Scarlet, like that hyper-alert alien who's straight-faced and just waiting to strike like a, a sexy cobra. And sure enough, a guard comes in. She kind of parts her legs, silently smiles, luring him in, and then, of course, knocks the ever-living shit out of him. She takes his gun and she escapes. And she is totally cold, badass. She, like, enters a room where the other thugs are playing cards, and just shoots everyone in a second before eating a whole lot of food on the table. And Scarlet fast motion gorging herself with food is pretty great. And she even like pulls a bullet out of her shoulder like it was absolutely nothing. She must have got shot when she came in. And then going through their stuff, she loads up on guns and tells her friends. It's fun to something and pretend. Can't remember. And escalate, escalate. She finds two cab drivers. She shoots one, gets the other one to take her to the hospital. Still splattered in blood, she realises now that she can hear everyone else's conversations. And that's what I love, because if this was just one of those movies where suddenly a person realises that they've unlocked these abilities and that they can fight and somersault and beat everyone up and shoot well, which is what I thought this movie was going into it, that wouldn't be as intriguing to me as all these extra weird abilities coming in this is more like a superhero movie this goes really strange and i think that's what makes this film special in my mind because we know this is just the beginning of a really insane journey so she enters an operating theater straight faced got a sort of very low single tone she shoots the man they are operating on and dumps him off the table she tells the doctors that you know she saw the x-ray he was beyond help. There was no point continuing. And then at gunpoint, she tells them to remove the drugs and does not require an anesthetic. Now, we get another nice shift in tone here because she calls her mum while they operate. 
She looks really wide, and this is the first time where she starts to crack, where that straight, stoic face goes, and we see that she's upset. Kind of reminds me of when she calls her mum in Lost in Translation, actually. And a tear runs down her cheek while she really does her best to keep in control. Um, she says things like, Mum, I feel everything. Space, air, the vibrations, the people, the gravity, the rotation of the Earth. And this could be silly stuff with a lesser actor, or a lesser director as well. But this is really great. Like, it's a nice, tight close-up. She trembles. She's teary-eyed. I really think she sells it all. And this is something that I'm only just realizing about Scarlet recently with the last Black Widow film, is that she has really proven herself to be able to commit to comic book material, sort of silly material, and make it real. Like, this isn't Uma Thurman being Poison Ivy. Even, you can say, okay, but that was the 90s and that was Schumacher and that was just crazy. But even look at, I caught a random episode of Gotham the other day and, and Jada, Jada Pinkett Smith as Ma Fish or whatever the fuck she's called is still doing that weird purring over-the-top comic booky Eartha Kitt thing. And you see actors doing that all the time. Like, oh, what's this? This is sort of silly stuff. I'll play it really comic booky. But... Um, you know, we said before, Lost in Translation, Bill Murray, I think he whispered, always tell the truth, she's telling the truth here. Even when the truth is crazy, like, she's now got all these memories, everything that's ever happened to her, she's remembered. She says to her mother, and she says it so sweetly, I can remember the taste of your milk in my mouth. I remember the audience at the screen, what, that's crazy, but, you know, it's, it's, interesting and she tells her mum that she loves her and she thanks her it, it actually is really sweet thanks her for the thousand kisses that she can still feel on her face you know this is a character who has already made the decision that she is at the end of the line she does not feel like she is going to survive this so as the doctor takes out the drugs scarlet asks him about it and she's more personal now and, and it turns out the drug is some sort of uh, baby-forming thing, chemical that pregnant women produce, makes bones grow and stuff like that. Um, but this is in a, a really highly concentrated form. And uh, she reinforces that she has doubts that she's going to be alive for long. So it, that's also interesting because now this is a character who really has nothing to lose. Uh, and when she goes outside at night, she can see sap flowing through trees and their roots. And I like that. Like, it's a fast-moving film. And it is a short film. We've established that. But every image is packed with info. Like, there's a new surprise always just around the corner. Then we cut back to Jang. He's in his room. He's getting a massage. He's got headphones on and cucumbers on his eyes. So he's very unaware of what's happening around him. He's just enjoying the sensual touch of a woman. And we get that iconic shot of Scarlet as Lucy walking down the corridor. She's got her bloodied shoulder. She's wearing the green hospital robe. She's got a gun in each hand and begins shooting the security in slow motion as classical music plays. Total Luc Besson, professional fifth element. It, it is absolutely sort of an homage to all his other films. And Scarlet wakes up Jang by skewering both his hands with knives and pinning him to his chair. And she tells him very matter-of-factly about how she's changing, how she can feel her own bones growing. Uh, and she's got a very strong presence here. Like, here she is face-to-face -face with this big gangster. 
and you totally believe that she is in control and that she is the threat. You believe that she has the power. And what I love about this performance, and I don't think we get to see this enough in films in general, is she does it with a quiet, monotone voice. She doesn't have to push too hard. And she's not pushing that sort of obnoxious tough girl thing that you see in a lot of movies. You see female actors going, oh, I'm really, I'm badass here, I'm really tough, so I'm going to really like play it tough, man. I think of things like, um, the immediate thing that I, I think of is like Michelle Rodriguez in, in something like Fast and the Furious, where it's all, let's do this, and kind of, I'm being a badass. But Scarlett has so much power, so much presence, she doesn't have to push it in that way. She can just, like, stare in this guy's face and tell him, this is what's happening, this is what's going on. And she scares the shit out of him. And uh, more sci-fi just craziness here. Like, there's no lead-up to these abilities. All these weird things just start happening. She presses her thumbs to his head. They glow, and the camera starts floating around inside his brain. And what she's doing is finding images of the passports of the three other drug mules inside his brain, these images, and realizes they've gone to Berlin, to Paris, and to Rome. So she goes back home, returns to her ditzy flatmate. Uh, When she hugs her flatmate, she sees through her skin momentarily and we can see all the veins and everything. And her flatmate babbles while Scarlett navigates the internet super, super speed, just pulling in all this information and absorbing it faster than when we saw Black Widow hacking in the computer store last week. This is some real action typing. And she scours all this information until she discovers Morgan Freeman. So she phones him up and demands to meet him. And she has just read all of his research. Right then, in a couple of minutes, she has absorbed everything this man has ever written. So touches of the film her creeping in here now. That sort of ability to adapt and evolve and uh, absorb information. It's almost like this film is kind of a combination of every other film she did in the last year or so. And then she appears on Morgan Freeman's TV. She starts talking to him through the television. And she um, doubts that she's going to last longer than 24 hours. She's colonizing her own brain. She's like, there's no more obstacles. She's not human anymore. She can control magnetic and electric waves. She manipulates his phone and his radio just to prove it. She's no longer got pain or fear or desire. And her issue is now she doesn't know what to do with all this knowledge that she's consuming. And Freeman offers a very simple, elegant solution. Pass it on. Just like the cells going through time and passing on that knowledge. So she says, great, I'll be at your door in 12 hours. But, uh, of course, because Scarlett shut up that hotel, the police are now hunting her. They've got security footage. So at the airport, new crazy ability. I remember watching this the first time. You're like, what now? What's happening? She morphs her hair into a brunette Cleopatra-style thing with a fringe. So this story is really getting crazy. And she also manages to shoo away a police dog with her mind. And now she calls a new character who's going to be important. Uh, It's a French policeman called Del Rio. And um, she's reporting all the info she has about the drugs. 
and she spooks him by knowing what is around him in his office. She's very aware of everything that's happening to him, and that's what gets him to listen. Title card, 30%. So she's morphing her hair, speaking to dogs, appearing on TV, and that's just 30%. You're like, where the fuck is this film going to go? Like, and I love that built-in momentum of the percentage build. You're like, man, I'm enjoying 30%. What's going to happen at, like, 80%? Let alone 100 And uh, based on her information she's provided, the police successfully pick up the other mules in the various cities. So, now on a plane, Lucy action types again on two laptops at the same time. She gives the stewardess a blood nose with her mind. But when she drinks a glass of champagne, here's a, a, another shock twist, escalation, a couple of her teeth fall into the glass. Title card, 40%. And the skin on her hand is breaking away into particles. She is literally falling apart, surrounded by this, these kind of like circles of wispy skin dust. So she force pushes her way into the bathroom and her fingers and face are, are literally disintegrating. Like this film is so fucking nuts at this point. Like her face is completely caving in. Her eyes are falling out. She sells it all. So she grabs the drugs and she munches away at them, uh, which is kind of weird and gross, actually. that That's the silliest shot in the film for me is when she's, like, sort of gnawing away at the drugs in her hands. And then, great shot. She's covered in blue crystal. She's really spaced out. Um, and with all this raw energy, she starts to just break away, disappear into a shower of sparks fuck is going on? And uh, back to Del Rio, he sees a passport. This is interesting. Last year we talked about, last year, last week, feels like a year ago. It's been a big week. But last week in Winter Soldier, uh, remember Armin Zola pulled up her information and it was that she was born in 1984. This time her passport, uh, 1988. So they've shaved off four years already. I think that's what happens when you hit 30. Start dialing it back again. And then uh, this is the sort of awakening of Scarlet. So we go to an extreme close-up of her eye, almost like under the skin. And uh, the eye f- sort of blinks. And as it does, it flicks through different colours uh, and different animals, like it's a reptilian eye or a cat eye for a moment. And the title card says 50%. And she has awoken in a hospital bed in Paris. And she's seen things go by in fast motion around her. She gets dressed, I think she's wearing a black dress, and she uh, goes and meets Del Rio, who sort of rushes in to, to find out why she's leaving and what's happening. And he's got all these men with him, and she sends them all to sleep using the Force, Jedi powers, and empties all the bullets out of his gun with her mind, uh, and walks up until she is right in his face. So much presence, hard to imagine who else could really do this. Like, this is effortless for her. So much power while remaining very still, very low-key. She wants the rest of the drugs. She needs the other three pouches. That's how she's going to survive. Del Rio agrees, though he's freaked out in the car. She can see streams of info coming out of people's cell phones around them. Uh, She can move these streams of information around in front of her, minority report style. Always, like, Besson is constantly refreshing the visuals, giving us images and concepts that we really haven't seen before in this style. Uh, she gets the info she's looking for and takes the wheel of the police car and uh, goes on a, a crazy drive up on the streets and everything. This, uh, I think, is her first car chase in a film. Pretty sure. Well, at least, and, like, she's driving as well, which it, it makes it even cooler. Maybe in the island there was a car chase, but I don't think she was driving. 
And meanwhile, the drug thugs, if I can call them that, are shooting up the police in order to get to one of the mules. And uh, while they're doing this, Scarlett drives just like a maniac through traffic, but remains totally calm and badass throughout, committing just the right amount without overselling. So the thugs shoot the drug mule, they recover a pouch of drugs, Lucy turns up, they all train their guns on her in the hall, it's looking bleak, but title card, 60%. Their guns all stick to the ceiling, she walks towards the head thug, who's now blocked by an invisible wall, it's like, I'm in Paris and now I'm a fucking mime, how did this happen? And all the others like just float or fly away from her, she takes the, the suitcase off the frozen leader and just walks back calmly. Now here's an unusual bit. She wants Rio to come with her. He's wondering why, and she kisses him. Which at first I thought, this is an odd choice. Like, why are these two romantically linked? But they're not. She says she wants him there as a reminder, and I guess this is because the kiss is her last human act. This is really the last thing she does that has anything to do with the flesh. So it's more of a symbolic act than a titillating one. This is a... sort of a last grasp at humanity. So Lucy turns up at Freeman's lab and meets all of his fellow science bros. She's in total weird alien outsider mode again. She's always the outsider. Lucy is definitely an outsider. Uh, You know, that person that's incredible to look at, but really doesn't fit in anywhere. She knows about the scientists' theories, our histories by touching them. She uncovers disturbing images from their pasts which gives them immediate impetus to believe in her powers and who she is, and she senses that the thugs are coming back for her for a final showdown. So her whole reason for being here is to pass on all this information she's acquired, and as she explains it all to the scientist, she changes the cells in her hand, literally morphing her hand into webbing, claws, multiple fingers. She says all social systems we've put into place are just a sketch. So she's basically saying everything we think we know, everything you think you know, listener, is bullshit. Dumb, dumb humans. Time is the only true unit of measure, she says. Without time, we don't exist. Now, a bandaged Jang. She didn't kill him back then. His hands are bandaged now, though. And uh, the thugs are making sure that a lot of people don't exist in the lobby. They're taking them out of time by uh, shooting them all. So the scientists hook Scarlet up to a drip and uh, liquidize the drugs and put it into the drip. They're going to give her this all the remaining power she needs. And we know as an audience that we are about to go batshit bonkers. And she says... I'm going to build a computer for you. Like, fuck Alienware. I'm going to build a computer, like some crazy high-tech computer, and give you, Morgan Freeman, access to it, and then you can use that to gain all this knowledge I've just picked up. And Scarlet's look intensifies, the drug kicks in, and she spews light out of her mouth. All intercut with the juxtaposed with scenes of the shootout of the thugs that's happening outside the room. Her eyes glow blue, title card, 70%. We are so close. Uh, The skin on her arms is turning black. Her fingers are growing into tendrils and roots that search the room for energy and start connecting with the computers. 80%. And then the room breaks away and the lab is now in a white void. Scarlet is building this computer. It's not, not like a Commodore 64 or any of that bullshit. This is her first computer, and it's like a tower of black alien spikes 
that just is blossoming out of the floor, rising up. 90% more slow-mo shootouts in the hall set to opera music. The lead thug bazooka opens Lucy room and she travels in her chair through time. So she passively watches the Eiffel Tower and then she's in a valley and then she's zooming through to New York, freezing pedestrians with her hands, speeding them up all Minority Report style. She manipulates time backwards, watching the city disappear, watching it debuild, goes back to horse and cart times, then back even further to empty plains and Native Americans and then back further still to volcanoes and then this wild prehistoric wilderness where pterodactyls, which I thought was a nice uh, little nod to the extraordinary adventures of Adele Blank Sec, which has a pterodactyl in it quite uh, prominently. Uh, And there's a dinosaur kind of runs at her. And then Scarlett Johansson, Lucy, is face to face with Lucy, the first human. They touch fingers and Scarlett is moved. Breathless. And then she's looking out over the Earth from space, then out into the universe, heading towards the Bing Bang in reverse. I remember sitting there watching this the first time and just thinking, I can't believe like there are dinosaurs in this film, that you went into this incredibly wild place. And why not? Because there are enough standard action movies where people just jump around and fight people. This is different. A truly unique film that only Luc Besson could make, and to be honest, would make. 99% says the title card. Jang enters the white void as Lucy's whole body fills with black, very under the skin like the black alien at the end of that. She still sits in the chair, but her eyes are filled with galaxies. There's shots of a giant sperm racing towards an egg because at this stage, why the fuck not? Just throw it all in. Shots of cells multiplying, sort of reminding us of the beginning. Close up of her face in the white void as it slowly turns black. It's filling up with blank. And then one... 100%. Jang shoots her in the head, but she Obi-Wan Kenobi's him. There's nothing left on her chair but her dress. So either she sped out of there really fast naked or she has gone to another place. She is at uh, one with the force, my friends. Del Rio shoots Jang and the computer spits out a USB drive. That looks like the universe. Like, this USB drive is black, sparkling stars. The person I saw this film with was like, that's ridiculous. A USB drive that looks like the universe, that's bullshit. I thought it was cool, though. And Del Rio says, where is she? And his phone replies, I am everywhere. Which kind of, again, reminds me of her, going back to that whole her thing. And her voiceover, to cap it all off, to go full circle... Life was given to us a billion years ago. Now you know what to do with it. Do we know what to do with it? Do crazy shit is what I'm assuming she means. And uh, she certainly did a lot of that in this film. Look, let's look at it this other way. Let's take this 100% and uh, in conclusion, break it down and imagine that this film is kind of a recipe. Like, I do feel there's something weird about it where it is like it's 25% under the skin this kind of um, detached, non-human alien character going around observing everything. It's 25% Black Widow, this focused action person who um, can use her ingenuity and skills to take down any male opponent. It's 25% her, this knowledge sponge that becomes this omniscient being. 
It's like 5% lost in translation, teary, emotional call to the mum, and then 20%, if my maths is right, I'm not sure. You can rewind and see if I, uh, this adds up to 100, but 20% sort of unknown. I feel like that 20% is that unique character we saw at the beginning, that flustered, tussled, trashy mess. Uh, and I think that, as I said, initially she's inhabited that character better than she has in the past. Like, normally when she puts on a character, like, um, in Scoop or Don John or whatever, I'm not really feeling it. I really did uh, believe it this time, and that's great because this movie is more recent than those other movies, which means she is evolving, she is progressing, she's more confident, I think she'll continue to get more confident as she gets older, and just like the theme song says, I can't remember the lyrics, about how far she'll, who knows how far she'll grow, grow, let's see how far she goes, grows, you know what I mean. And I cannot wait to see it. So, uh, why was she cast? I usually ask this, housekeeping, because she is becoming the A-list go-to who can carry this kind of role, who's convincing at action, can ha- be a threat, can have a real presence, but not overdo it. That is a unique quality, and I feel like we've only seen the tip of the iceberg, and that's why I'm interested to see what she does with films like Ghost in the Shell. There's real opportunity here. Scar vocabulary, I don't have a new word or phrase this week. I'm too overwhelmed, but her three greatest feats... Pick any three things that she does in this movie, and they're, a great, they're great feats. I'm going to say Jedi mind tricks and force pushes. Uh, two, body morphing abilities. Three, she lorded over time and space. Saw a dinosaur. So, um, that was Lucy. I really liked it. I think it's an interesting way to finish up our weekly episodes because next time is Age of Ultron. That is her next film, and it is one that we've all seen, but I'm not going to do an episode on it until the uh, Blu-ray DVD comes out because I need to really watch it properly and make notes and study everything. And I think it's also interesting to do these films at a time when that initial hype or initial cynicism or outcry or or whatever kind of has that chance to settle down. I think by the time something's released on DVD, Blu-ray, we've all got calmer heads about it and we're willing to sort of look at it in a different way. Um, Not just nerd yell on Tumblr and stuff about what it all means. So... Uh, There is no official release date for the Age of Ultron Blu-ray at the time that I'm recording this. Uh, I don't know, is it going to be like August? Is it going to be November? I have no idea. But um, once it's out, I will put out a new episode. So uh, please, if you're subscribed, and hopefully you are, um, do make sure that ScarJoAgogo remains on your device, that you keep your subscription going, because then... When a new film of hers is released uh, for people to buy and take home, uh, check that app and you will have a new episode. So, as I was saying the other day, I mean, if she's like Meryl Streep, we could be doing this in 35 years. Very, very strange. And uh, in the meantime, of course, every week I do two other podcasts. I do FPCast, which is a general pop culture news reviews show with Jacinta. That's every Monday. And I do The Book Was Better on Tuesdays where we read a shitty movie novelization. Sometimes it's good. Usually it's shitty. 
and we discuss it, make fun of it. Um, they're, they're funnier shows. I always have a guest host on those. This is the only show I do solo. Please listen to those. You can find everything at www.fruitlesspursuits.com or geekvision.tv. And uh, you can still support us on Patreon as well, Patreon uh, at .com slash fruitless pursuits if you really want to get some extra bonus content and stuff as well and uh other than that i just want to say uh thank you so much for listening especially if you're someone that's listened to this whole series because i appreciate that that's a really big commitment i mean it's like you know 30 plus hours of talking about scarlett johansson which is a crazy thing to record and crazier for you to listen to um, I know this show hasn't you had a massive audience, and I, I think it's interesting when you launch something like this because, you know, you just don't know. Like, obviously, she has millions of fans around the world, and you go, well, is this something that people will search for Scarlett Johansson on iTunes, and they'll find it, and, and they'll um, listen, and, and will it take off? Like, is it something that could gain an audience really quickly because it is laser-focused? And I don't think that really happened. I, I think... Um, even close friends who've been very supportive of my other work kind of didn't get what this would be. Like, what is this show? What's what's it about? Is it just you, like, going, Scarlett Johansson's really pretty, you guys. Um, you know, they, they didn't know what it was. And I didn't really know what I was getting into either, but it's been an interesting journey. Uh, I think I've learned a lot, not just about Scarlett, but also I think just looking at... Um, the role of directors and writers and and how um you know different people using the same tool can have a very different result and also as a secondary thing i, I think we've really looked at the the roles that women have like you know an a-list actor in hollywood like what kind of roles are available and what kind of patterns they fall into and we've also identified all these crazy scarlet tropes that i, I never would have noticed before like um the feet thing the smoking thing the the mentions of france the playing with small props in the hands, all those things that we've kind of picked up along the way. Uh, so I am just absolutely relieved that I get a bit of a break, uh, that I'm going to get to maybe spend more time prepping Book Was Better, which will be good, uh, maybe doing some other things as well. And um, just amazed that you got through it because... When I started, when I was doing North and, and even just along the way doing things like, you know, Love Song for Bobby Long, uh, things like Winter Soldier and Lucy looked very, very far away. And there were quite a few times where I thought, fuck, not many people are, are listening to this. I don't know if I should even continue. Um, and I think it was more my own sort of arrogance and, and pride of like, no, I can't fail. I've got to do this. I've got to... I've got to commit to what i've done and um own ocd there which made it happen so um yeah thanks for joining me on all of that and uh we'll be back when age of ultron hits thank you she starts off really small and then she grows she grows she grows she grows let's see how far she goes scar joe go boom.